Coming up, we're going to be talking about the state of the D-backs after their series win over the Miami Marlins before part two with Sully Baseball, talking about whether the win stat should be abolished. Jam-packed pot as always. Let's jump right into it. You are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked on Dimebacks podcast. I'm your host, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer. So please go check out my website, MillerThomas24.myportfolio.com. I'm there you can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. If you want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account, which is look up Locked on Dimebacks on both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. And of course, thank you for making Locked on Dimebacks your first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. It's free and available on all platforms, so please continue to tell your friends. As I mentioned early in the podcast, we're going to be talking to Sully Baseball about whether the win stat should be abolished. But before we get there, I just want to talk about the state of the D-backs because as you guys are listening to this, it's Thursday, and the D-backs do not play today. They just beat the Miami Marlins, not in and not in the most recent game they played on Wednesday, but in the series, they took two out of three. It was pretty close to a sweep. I didn't think the D-backs were going to sweep the Marlins um, this time around after seeing the way Merrill Kelly started the game. I thought Merrill Kelly was going to give up like six earned runs in a Wednesday start. The way he was laboring those first three innings, it really felt like he was going to have like a six earned run kind of a day where it was like, eh, you know what? Merrill Kelly's been so good this year. He's allowed to have one stinker of a start. I was kind of going back and forth with Lockdown Marlins host Peter Pratt on Twitter yesterday because he was like, Marlins should have a nice bounce back game with Sandy Alcantara on the mound. But I'm like, hey, do you know who's on the mound for the D-backs? Merrill Kelly. And he responded on Twitter like, time for a stinker, right? Is he due? And I guess Peter Pratt was right because this was the biggest Merrill Kelly stinker of the season Wednesday. And even a Merrill Kelly stinker by his standards is five innings pitch, seven hits is maybe too much, but only three earned runs, two walks. 93 pitches ERA only went up to a 171 like if your worst start only brings your your ERA up to a 171 like you're having a fantastic season and you know this was Merrill Kelly's uh, worst start of the season because he gave up a home run in the first inning first home run he's allowed all season so good job by Merrill Kelly to at least settle down as the game went on and to actually give a pretty it didn't qualify as a quality start but overall considering how he looked to begin in my book it was a quality start but Wednesday's game was more of a microcosm of a bigger issue that the D-backs have faced this season, which is just inconsistent play from their bullpen because after Merrill Kelly left the game, the D-backs were down 3-1 to one because in that third inning, they did get one run back off of Alec Thomas, who I don't know if I should spend time on right now. Might as well do it because Alec Thomas has been fantastic for the D-backs so far this season. There's really not enough positive things you could say about Alec Thomas so far because his impact has been immense for this D-backs team. He's added the, the influx of young talent, and he's been a catalyst for this offense. I mean, the offense has been slightly better, I guess, since he's been there. I mean, he's accounted for most of the offense, it feels like, since he's been back. He's been hitting doubles. He's been scoring runs. He's been driving in, guys. And Wednesday was another game where he hit a bomb his first home run of the season. So you love to see that by Alec Thomas, 414 feet, and he cut the game down to 3-1. to one. 
So for Alec Thomas, I mean, right now he's batting at the bottom of the order. He batted ninth today. He's been batting eighth or ninth the last few days. And with Alec Thomas down there, the bottom of the order has been really productive recently. I mean, Seth Beer had a hit today. And the game on Tuesday, the six through eight hitters at one point during the third inning had three straight hits with Perdomo and Alec Thomas and Nick Ahmed. They were part of the reason why the D-backs were able to break it open in that third inning and just start piling on runs we've always talked about we don't see enough crooked innings for the D-backs and they were able to do that Tuesday Saturday excuse me Wednesday was not able to come but we did get to see that Alec Thomas home run but later in the game as we were talking about the bullpen Caleb Smith came in after Merrill Kelly three to one ball game so very close game still a very winnable game and Caleb Smith best performance of the season by Caleb Smith three innings pitch six strikeouts and I'm afraid to say after only 38 pitches, maybe Caleb Smith should have kept going out there. But once the D-backs hit that home run with Jordan Luplo, who has been phenomenal so far this year. I mean, we all know he's a platoon guy. We all know he's only going to be playing against lefty pitchers. And you can see why. Because just, he only needs one pitch, basically. He came in, pitched it for Pavin Smith, hit a home run. Four home runs and 36 plate appearances for Jordan Luplo. He's been a real power bat. And he's been able to steal bases, too. Like, a lot of his home runs come late in games or clutch home runs. He can steal a bag or two for you as well. He's made some incredible defensive highlights in right field as well. So, Jordan Luplo, we got laughed at. I got laughed at as a lockdown. Diamondbacks host for saying the D-backs won the offseason when we did our NL West roundtable and it was also before the Dodgers got Canley Jansen when we did the roundtable and before the Padres um, pulled off one of their last trades of the season I think it was before the Sean Maniah trade as well but I said the D-backs won the offseason because I thought they got marginally better I didn't think they lost a ton of talent during the offseason I thought they worked around the edges and won the big moves not a huge move, but I thought a nice little addition to their team was Jordan Luplo because he's going to be helping out Pavin Smith in right field defensively, and he's going to be helping out Pavin Smith at the plate when there's a lefty on the mound. And so far, Jordan Luplo, even though we got laughed at for him, he came through clutch on Wednesday. But unfortunately, it did not matter because Caleb Smith probably should have stayed in the game on Wednesday. But once Jordan Luplo hit that home run, Toy Lavelle kind of had a different mentality and said, let's get our high leverage relievers in the game. So he brought in Mark Melanson for a non-save opportunity. It's a 3-3 game. Maybe the D-backs can walk it off in the bottom of the ninth and have a complete sweep of the Miami Marlins for the second week in a row. But fortunately, that did not happen because Mark Melanson pitched Wednesday night like how he pitched the other day, May 7th, against the Colorado Rockies where he gave up three earned runs in that ninth inning. This was another implosion by Mark Melanson. Four earned runs and just... 0.2 thirds of an inning, 0.2 thirds of an inning, is that how you say? He only got two outs. How about I say it like that? He only recorded two outs, four earned runs. His ERA ballooned to a 6.75, and this is the overall point I want to make because the bullpen is the area of this team that I still feel like after watching this team now a month, almost a month and a half in, I feel like the bullpen, once again, is going to be, is going to be the swing area for this D-backs team. I know the offense hasn't been great, but I feel like the offense is going to come around. Like, I know the offense is still, you look at the team stats around the National League, the D-backs offense, basically an average OPS run scored is still basically bottom of the barrel when it comes to the National League, but I think it is improving. They do hit a lot of home runs. I think Dalton Varsha is going to continue to heat up. Ketel Marte is obviously getting better. We now have Alec Thomas in the lineup. Josh Rojas, I think, is going to be an addition in the lineup as well. Christian Walker is hitting bombs. Maybe Seth Beer could get back on track. I do like the pieces in the lineup, and 
Sometimes Toy Lovello does some funky stuff with the lineup, but I'm still confident enough that the D-backs offense could be league average. The area of concern now is the bullpen, which is funny because a couple of weeks ago, I was like, you know what? I feel pretty good about the D-backs bullpen for the first time in a long time, but I think I might have been too early to the party because the D-backs bullpen right now is like 28th in the league in terms of ERA. I could probably find it real quick as I'm talking, but the bullpen for the D-backs has been struggling once again. And really the last couple of weeks, there's been so many games where it's a close game, but the D-backs might be able to pull it out in that close game, but the bullpen looks shaky doing it. And it just keeps you on your edge. And you just feel stressed out when you're watching this D-backs bullpen a lot of times because you'll have a guy like Ian Kennedy come in. He might get the job done, but he might put three runners on the bases and load the bases. And then you need that Brent Strom pep talk to come in and calm him down before he could get out of the inning. I have the stat here, actually. D-backs, third worst bullpen right now in Major League Baseball in terms of ERA, just behind the Rockies at one and the Cincinnati Reds at two. So the D-backs bullpen has not been able to get it done, which is so funny because you juxtapose that with the D-backs starting rotation. And right now, the D-backs have, let me look it up. I got a, when I filtered it, it put the worst teams at the top first, so the Reds were at the top. The D-backs have the second best starting rotation in baseball, 2-3-4 ERA currently. I don't know if that's updated after today's game, but either way, top three worst bullpen, top three starting rotation. The D-backs are going to be in a lot of close games. The D-backs entering Wednesday's game were 7-3 in one-run games because your starter only has to go 6-7 innings. Your starter has to go 6 or 7 innings, and if they just give up 2 or 3 earned runs, it's basically a win for the D-backs. If they give up one run, it's a win for the D-backs because they've been so good in one-run situations. But in those one-run games, it also depends who has gotten the most rest recently in the bullpen? Whose workload has been really jacked up recently? Because you can't put Noah Ramirez and Kyle Nelson out there every day. The Joe Mantip lies. You can't put those guys out there every day. Sometimes you have to go with the Caleb Smith or the Luis Frias or the J.B. Wendelkin. The guys who are a little bit shakier out there on the mound. And so far, the bullpen has been super shaky for the D-backs. I think their offense is going to be doing a good enough job most of the year where they score three to five runs. And I think the rotation is going to continue to be dominant because even the worst version of Merrill Kelly is still a, a fantastic pitcher with that Brent Strom effect. But f- for some reason, the Brent Strom effect doesn't really translate to the bullpen too much. We know his work on... We we know how he affects starting rotation members. Like, pretty much every starter has been like a Cy Young Award winner under Brent Strom. But the relievers, you don't hear much talk about them really excelling under Brent Strom. So the D-backs... Mike Hazen, he's going to have to be the one that has to go out there and fix the bullpen. You can't rely on Brent Strom to fix all your pitching issues. I think this is going to come down to Mark, uh, come down to Mike Hazen. And once again, I like the Mark Melanson move, you know, signing at the time during the offseason. I still think it's going to be a move that probably works out in the end. But right now, it just seems like another pass their prime pitcher that Mike Hazen seems to target. I don't know why all these guys who were good the last couple of years, even though they're on the older end, seem to just fall apart once they come to the D-backs. Like, Joaquin Soria was good right before he got to the D-backs, even though he was an older guy. You could make the same argument with, like, the Hector Rondones or the Junior Guerreros. Like, a lot of them had a recent track record before they got to the D-backs of being good, even though they were older pitchers. But seems like the wheels fall off right as they get to Arizona. Maybe being in Arizona under the hot sun, the, the retirement community around you, maybe it just puts them in that retirement mindset. I don't know what it is, but a lot of these older relievers, when they come to Arizona, they seem to not do as well. Ian Kennedy's been shaky. Mark Melanson all of a sudden has an ERA approaching seven. So the D-backs have to get this bullpen figured out. And talking to Lindsey Crosby of Lockdown MLB Prospects a couple days ago, we did a power ranking. 
five other D-backs prospects not named Alec Thomas that can make an impact this season. And he had four pitchers on that list. And I think maybe you got to call up a couple of, a couple of those guys. You know, maybe you got to call up the Brandon Fats or the Keegan Curtises or the Drew Jamisons or the Dre Jamisons, however you pronounce his name. Because right now the guys in the bullpen are not getting done. And I don't want to see another year wasted because the D-backs do not know how to close the game. Because the D-backs do not know how to secure victory up two to three runs like that's the most annoying thing when you watch a baseball game or when you watch your favorite team the games where you're up two three runs after six seven innings you just have to get through those final six outs of the game but you're just trepidatious because you know how bad your bullpen is you know once that starter comes out anything's on the table for the other team and right now for this D-backs team we know how good the starters are we know what kind of uh, we, we know how good the starters are. We know what they're going to do out there on the mound. The offense, it's a little hit or miss, but we at least have a lot of players we trust. We at least have, I think, a decent amount of talent now in that lineup. So you feel good about the rotation. You feel good about the lineup, but the one area of the team that you feel very not confident in is that bullpen. So please, Mike Hazen, go figure out how to fix that bullpen because this D-backs team can be competitive this season. I'm not saying they're going to make a wild card race. I let that be known on almost every podcast, but can they at least keep us checking that wild card race tab the last month of the season? I think they can. They just need to fix the bullpen to do it. Now, we'll talk to Sully Baseball about whether the win stat should be abolished in baseball, but I think this bullpen needs a little boost, and to start my day, I need a little boost, so I take Athletic Greens. What is Athletic Greens, you ask? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all those things. So, why do I take AG1 Athletic Greens? Well, it's lifestyle friendly. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, it does not matter. It costs less than $3 a day, and it has over 7,000 five-star reviews. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health to make it easy. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash MLB Network. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash MLB Network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, all right, all right. Let's get into that pod with Sully Baseball. Now, here's one thing, though. Nestor Cortez is the Yankee. I mean, their ace is still Garrett Cole, and Garrett Cole pitched beautifully the other day. You know, he had like one or two bad outings, but he's been very good recently. Mm -hmm. uh, so either he's found his stuff or found some spider tack, whatever's going on. Something. The, uh, the, the Yankees got the good Garrett Cole back. And remember Garrett Cole? People were talking about Garrett Cole just because he – wet the bed in the wild card game last year. He was a top three Cy Young candidate last year. He had a fine season last year. And he's, you know, he is, has been a very good signing for the Yankees. 
Nestor Cortez has been, if you're going to say Cole has earned the right to be called the ace, uh, yeah. I, I, I'm fine with that. Uh, here's the interesting thing. Even with the near no hitter, he has one more win than me. His record is one and one. Mm. And the win category, the win statistic, we may need to finally just put, put that to bed. bed. Because think about this game that was played this afternoon in the Bronx. Cortez pitched seven and one-third innings, let up one hit, walked four, struck out 11, no runs. He threw 103 pitches. Clay Holmes came out. He threw four pitches. And then uh, Chapman came out. He let up a hit but threw a scoreless inning in the ninth and got the save. Holmes got the win. Cole Holmes is 4-0. He threw four pitches. Cortez threw a masterpiece into the eighth, and Holmes is credited with the win. What does that stat even represent? It doesn't represent that he pitched the best, the most, the most critical parts. Mm -hmm. None of them. Zero. And I, look at, uh, I was both, uh, as a young'un, I was in the uh, ahead of the curve in understanding that wins are overrated in the 80s, back when they basically gave the Cy Young Award winner to whoever had the most wins. That was the criteria. And, and like there was one year Bob Welch had more wins than Dave Stewart on the A. So the you know Bob Welch won the Cy Young Award. But Dave Stewart was the number one pitcher on the team. When it came to the playoffs, they handed the ball to Dave Stewart. So wait, why wouldn't you hand it to the, the best pitcher? Is it the Cy Young Award, the best pitcher of the league? He wasn't even the best pitcher on his own team. Mm. But it was just the win total. And I remember in 1987, when you still were not a glimmer in anyone's eyes. No, unfortunately. I was in high school, and I remember saying, I thought Nolan Ryan – should win now. Nolan Ryan, who never won a Cy Young Award in his career, okay. Um, but I said, I remember talking to some friends of mine in 1987, saying, "I think Nolan Ryan should win the Cy Young Award." And I was looked upon as if I said, "I believe we should uh, create mutant lobsters." You know, I was looked upon as uh, as as if I was a crazy person by my friends, and I and. He went uh, that year, Nolan Ryan's record was, I'm scrolling at baseballreference.com, it's the universal website, the history of planet Earth. His, uh, his record, someone's washing my door window behind me, for those of you watching on YouTube. His record was 8-16. and 8-16. and 16. So how could he be, what are we even talking about? He had a loser. My friends, he went 8-16. and 16. I'm going to be the Cy Young Award winner. Well, he struck out 270 batters. In 211 and two-thirds innings, that's the best in baseball that year, 270. Mm. He had the lowest ERA in the National League. So he had the lowest ERA and the lowest number and the, and the highest number of strikeouts, which back in 1987, there were no advanced stats, or if they were, we didn't know them. Yeah. But that was, uh, that was what we went by. That was the criteria that we went by. Now, if you went by... War, he had he had a 5.4 war. Uh, he had the best walks per nine innings. He had the best strikeouts per nine innings. He um, 
he had uh, uh, there were like some of the advanced stats that didn't exist back then. He had the best in the league, um, and I and I remember saying, he, but he had the best year, even though he didn't win the most games because the the Astros that year couldn't hit. He lost a bunch of games, won nothing. No, no, you got to give it to Rick Sutcliffe. He won eighteen games. Now, for a long time, I defended the win stat. Because I said, okay, it's not a good predictive stat. It's not a good stat to sort of say if I'm building a team, like, okay, what what am I looking for in a pitcher? The wins don't help there. But in terms of describing and the storytelling of the game, I thought it was a good descriptive stat. I'm beginning to back off of that. Yeah. Because it, it, Clay Holmes's four pitches that he threw don't really describe what happened in that game. Yeah, I don't get how someone could just come in for four pitches and get the win. I feel like the win needs to be amended to where maybe it can only be awarded to the person who started the game and maybe with the criteria you have to go five innings or whatever. The same way there's a criteria for a quality start, there's a criteria for a win, and they can only be awarded to the starting pitcher because we knew wins were meaningless. I mean, you said back in the 80s. I mean, just in my lifetime, when I saw Rick Porcello win a Cy Young Award back in like 2016 because he led the American League in wins with 22, that was the only reason he won the Cy Young Award – that season maybe not the only reason i mean he had over 200 innings pitched but it was not better than like justin verlander or whatever that season and rick porcello i never considered like a number one starter a front license starter so to see rick porcello get 22 wins in the cy young absolutely blew my mind so maybe the stat needs to be amended to where it can only be awards to starters and and also maybe we should take the stat out of when we're talking about the triple crown for these pitchers maybe mm-hmm. it should be era strikeouts and innings pitch and not wins because wins is quite honestly the most meaningful stat and we see guys like degrom um never have good win totals just because they're always on crappy teams even though they've been the best pitchers and then guys like rick porcello they could be on the best team in baseball and rack up 20 wins even though they're probably a mid-rotation starter sully and i will continue that conversation but if you want to bet on the win stat, someday being abolished in Major League Baseball, you need to head to betonline.net because BetOnline continues to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for your sports wagering information from live betting, playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and actions. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, all right, all right. Let's wrap up the pod. Um, Bartolo Colon won the Cy Young Award in 2005. Okay, he led the long league. time ago. He led the league in wins that year. He led the league in nothing else. Now, if we're going to be I, – I, again, I'm not someone who makes war the end-all, be-all in terms of a statistic. But I will point out that he didn't crack the top ten – of war for pitchers in the American League that year. Um, Mark Burley and Johan Santana both towered over Bartolo Colon in almost every single category. 
And yet, Cologne won the Cy Young Award. Because even he had a few MVP. Games. Cologne even had a few MVP votes. Yeah, yeah, because they. And again, he had a good season. I'm not saying he was bad. You know, he he threw 222 innings and had an ERA of 3.48 during the steroid era. So you know, of which we found out later, Bartolo Cologne was part of. You know, his he did test positive for performance enhancing drugs and also tested positive for pi, but. The fact of the matter is there would not have been a person with even one brain cell firing in his head that would rather have had Bartolo Colon over Johan Santana that year. And the only thing Colon had over Santana was the fact that Santana won 16 games and Colon won 21. Now, I'm not going to complain that badly because I have what is called the Cohen brothers rule, which is if you've already won a major award, I can't complain when you don't win it again. Okay. And Santana won two Cy Young awards in his career. So I'm not going to cry bloody murder that he didn't make it three. Okay. But that being said, there's the, the Cy Young award given to Bob Welch in 1990 and Bartolo Colon in 2005. Their only qualification was the win total. Yeah, Johan, it says he led in war, strikeouts, ERA plus, and whip that season. Um, uh, he Santana probably should have. Santana, yeah, Santana did. did. Not, not, Santa, not Cologne, Santana. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I hope I didn't say Bartoli. Yeah, Santana did. So he basically led the American League or National League in four different categories. Or the American League. He was with the Twins yeah. at the time in four different categories. While Cologne literally just won, uh, led in uh, wins, like you said. So it is ridiculous that things like this have happened in the past. Like, even though we did, you know, didn't have the advanced stats, there's no stat cast, we did have more than just wins to look at like we still have the traditional stats with the eras and everything else so i don't know why we were so fixated on wins i don't know why as a society and as baseball fans and it wasn't like everyone like you said as you someone as a, as a young person back watching baseball in the 80s you even realized like wins wasn't a, a, a very you know important stat so why haven't the writers been able to catch up with the rest of society with how wins aren't that important well, I think it came to a head when um, Felix Hernandez won the Cy Young Award with a 13 and 12 record, and there were certain player, certain voters saying, "Well, wait a minute, how could you? He barely was over 500, and he every other category he led the league in except wins." Um, I, I remember, you know, I think at one point wins and losses meant more when you had more pitchers, ace pitchers throwing complete games. And you can sort of point to, you know, when you had the great pitcher eras of the 60s where, you know, you know, the Kofaxes would go up against the Bunnings or the, the Marischals or the Perrys or the Gibsons or the Seavers or whomever. And uh, actually, Kofax didn't go up against Seaver. That's a bad example. But uh, but you know what I mean, that there was like there was there was a certain sort of the mano a mano uh, allure of that. Um I cannot think of a single example of the unreliability of the win as a metric as Harvey Haddix. Do you know who Harvey Haddix is? I have no idea. Harvey Haddix pitched for the Cardinals and the Pirates in the 50s and 60s. I'm going to now describe two games that Harvey Haddix pitched. One, he pitched a perfect game. 27 up, 27 down. But the Pirates couldn't score for him. So he took that perfect game. He was perfect in the 10th. 
He was perfect in the 11th. He was perfect in the 12th. Then the Pirates made an error in the 13th. We were still pitching, by the way. And then allowed a double. So he pitched 12 perfect innings before allowing an unearned run. Okay? That's one game he pitched. Another game he pitched was game seven of the World Series, where he came in with a tying run aboard, and he let up a couple hits, and there was a wild freak play, and he blew the save. He blew the save that would have clinched game seven of the World Series. He got the win in one of those games and the loss in the other. He got the win in the game where he blew the lead in game seven of the World Series. He got the loss in the game where he threw 12 perfect innings before allowing an unearned run on one hit. If you say he went, how did the pitcher go? He went 12 and two-third innings, let up one hit and one unearned run. L, pitch better next time. How do you do? Well, I blew the lead that would have clinched the World Series. Good job. You won. Folks. And especially now when you have pitchers throwing five innings and then there's a parade of pitchers throwing one inning. What if you get the lead in the sixth or seventh? One of the parade of guys who throws one inning gets the win and the guy who gets that doesn't tell you anything. I think what they should listen instead of the win-loss record is they should show you what an average start. An average start of him is five innings, two runs, five or whatever it yes. is. That tells that you something. That is a lot smarter. And for Haddix, maybe he would have won that perfect game if he had the runner on second and extra rule because maybe it, the game would have ended uh, a little bit sooner for Haddix. So he got – he was just born too early, Sully. He was born in the wrong era. Sully, F you. Imagine if he threw that perfect game and there was a runner on, on second and then he balked and balked. And then next thing you know, he loses the game because of a balk and a balk or a pass ball. No, that no, hurt. you're no way, no way you're gonna sell me. No way you're gonna sell me. That's it for this edition of the Lockdown Dimebacks podcast. Thank you to everyone who tuned into today's pod. Come back tomorrow for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. Thank you to Sully Baseball for hopping on today. We got part three with Sully Baseball wrapping up the conversation with Sully tomorrow. It's the last pod of the week, so go catch up on any pods you might have missed this week. We got one pod coming out for you guys. Tomorrow, which is Friday's pod, so you're going to want to check out that. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy. This is...